episode lucky number 13 down the track joined once again by sean whip sean so much to talk about plenty on tim uh we've got a we've got a big episode coming up and we've got a a pretty specific focus today we definitely have with so much content at the moment we're going to be doing three podcasts in a row uh, and this one is going to be all about world cross country concentrating on aarhus i hope that's how you say it also we'll do a little bit of preview on bathurst 2021 we've got to start the talk don't we sean we do. It's two years seems like a long time, but uh, it'll be here we'll, before we know we'll it. Run through the Olympics, and everyone will be sort of coming down from that. And all of a sudden, whoop, we'll have um, a world championship in Australia. Yeah, so hopefully another big episode here of Down the Track. So Aarhus, there was a lot of uh, talk going into it, wasn't there, Sean, about this is redefining uh, cross country at the world world level after some you know some interesting events. But you know when you look at Uganda, it was pretty stock standard, pretty boring as a course construct and the way the crowd interacted. But uh, Aarhus apparently was going to take that all to a new level. Yeah, we've, we've certainly had some courses, in, I'd say, over the last decade or so that have, have varied in terms of difficulty. Bidgosh was obviously a course that featured snow, snow. Yeah. Uh, whereas other courses like Punta Umbria in, in Spain were, were quite manicured and, and sort of pristine. So I think there was definitely that desire to go back to what was seen as a more more traditional uh sort of spot for the, the event. Yeah, so lots of hype about Aarhus. And, you know, we know that they had the mud pits, the sand pits, the water pits and all those sort of things. But looking at it, apart from the very steep run up and over the uh, the museum, to me it still wasn't dramatically different from what we've seen before. Yeah, I think they just tried to have a course where there wasn't a really extended flat section. For well, there was no flat. No, I know, but often in those courses where there's a particularly large, let's say, you know, kilometre stretch of yep. the course that doesn't have much of an undulation, you, you get this enormous disparity between, you know, much, talent, much more talented track runners and mm. road runners as, as opposed to sort of trying to make them deal with the, the elements of a cross-country course. Yep, so ups and downs uh, coming at them all the time and also what they were really trying to get to was an experience for the spectators and I think they achieved that. From what I've heard, that was one of the big things, the ability to watch the race and also the additional things around the course that you could do in the interaction. Yeah, and uh, I think it was... Oh, just microphone issues there, we're back. Um, we obviously got to see a few of the top sort of guys and girls in the world obviously struggle um, very visibly with, with what was um, quite a demanding course. All right, let's put our focus now on the Australian performances and we're going to start with the sad story of the whole weekend and that was Stuart McSwain. So Stuart came in as one of, you know, for want of a better word or term, one of the great white hopes that uh, there was a lot of focus on Stuart being, you know, given his uh, performances over 5K recently and uh, his march into the world stage. But unfortunately, Stuart got quite sick. Yeah, with, I guess, other uh, Western teams weren't sending... um I guess some of their heavy hitters decided not to do cross country, um, and Stewie of, of you know the Western Nations was probably the the top seeded five k athlete going in, and and had shown he was a guy who could be competitive over five and ten thousand meters, and you know especially with quite a big build, um, you know really tall guy. People thought maybe that would help him um, in terms of just being able to turn over a bit quicker than some of the Kenyans and and be a bit stronger. But yeah, I, I think the the big thing to note was that he was he wasn't ruled out by 
you know, himself or Australian team doctor. Um, he actually got ruled out by the IAAF doctor. So they, you know, the, the meet wouldn't let him run effectively, yeah. which, you know, obviously they had to consult them. And, and he, as he said, you know, was, was really in a state. Yeah, so it wasn't great for Stewie, but we do hear, you know, he was pretty pragmatic about it. And we do hear from Stewie about, uh, you know, what happened before in the lead up to the race. Hi Stewie, not, not the day for you, it's not what you wanted to be a spectator today, uh, how, how are you feeling? Um, yeah, it's pretty disappointing, obviously anytime you want to get the opportunity to represent Australia, you want to be out there, especially at a World Championship, it doesn't get any bigger, so yeah, it's disappointing, but obviously the circumstances of last week, um, just with the virus and stuff, has meant that I'm not able to race, so um, it was a pretty easy decision. Um, in the, in end, the end, but you left it to the last minute. You're giving yourself every chance of starting, weren't you? Yeah, definitely. I um, I tried to go for a jog yesterday, and I was struggling jogging, uh, jogging with it. So it was pretty um, pretty obvious on this hard cross course I would be able to compete. Yeah. Well, let's hope you get better soon. You've got uh, nationals coming up, so uh, let's hope a speedy recovery, and we see you out there next week. No worries. Thanks a lot, Lisa. See you, mate. So, yeah, very disappointing for Stewie, but we still had a pretty good squad over there, didn't we? Yeah, I, I think that maybe um, exacerbated the, you know, the disappointment for Stewie in the sense that they felt they really had a team that could be um, pretty extraordinarily competitive in, in terms of where Australia replaced historically, you know, with the likes of Brett Robinson, Jack Rayner, Harry Summers, um, Jack Bruce, and, and even Matthew Ramsden, you know, being called in with, with Pat Tin and not being able to recover in time for the event. Mm. All right, well, let's, uh, let's change focus here and uh, we'll have a talk about the junior girls race. So, a bit of a standout performance there, wasn't there? Yes, we had uh, Lauren Carey, who I believe is a New South Wales athlete, um, who had an absolute blinder, really, in, in, in finishing 16th. Um, the, sort of m- the closest performance I can think back to of that would probably be... Oh, I might have even been back in 2007, I reckon. Elise Clayton was 25th, I think, in the junior race, sort of way, way, way back when in Edinburgh or something like that. Um, only the, the Frankston connection back there. But, um, yeah, huge run for, for Lauren. And I think, um, you know, we managed to get a, a, a bit of a talk in there with them, um, her, and, her and some of the other girls on the team. But just discussing with them how, you know, how you tackle a course or how you tackle a set of opponents that on track, you know, you know you're very much outmatched by those athletes and, and how best to deal with that in, in planning for a race. Um, yeah, really good. I was so happy. It was the best feeling out there. Like, so many people, even if they didn't, like, know who you were, they're like, go Australia, go Kerry, like, saying your last name on your bib and stuff. So it was just the best feeling, honestly. Well done, Lauren. Yeah, thank you so much. How'd you go, Sarah? I didn't run as well as I would have liked, but it was a really good experience running with all the uh, Africans and that. You went out hard? Yeah. Well, they didn't start fast at all, and then they waited till they got all, like, in their little group together, and then they took off. And I think I just went a bit quick at the start. Enjoyed it, though? Yeah, it was a really good experience. A bit like an extreme sport out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done and congratulations. Thank you, Thank you. So it's great to catch up there with Lauren, but also Schiffman. But Schiffman, slightly different strategy to Carey. <laughs> Schiffman got a bit excited. Yeah, when I d- decided that, yeah, if you can't, well, it doesn't really if work. You can't but beat you him, can't join him. Join him, yeah. And <laughs> I think she was probably pretty swiftly reminded of why, you know, sort of 
probably sub nine minute sort of 3k juniors and those sorts of things uh, are a tiny bit out of reach. Um, the Schiffman and Carey were split by Lucinda Crouch in 38th. Um, I believe Lucinda's sort of done her first semester at um, the University of Wisconsin. So, you know, we've got a fair few Australians over there with uh, Morgan McDonald, Ollie Hoare, um, Lucinda, of course, and, and even a member of the junior men's team, Jackson Sharp's going to start there in August. So, you know, she's obviously had that experience of NCAA cross-country yeah. and, and sort of how that works. And, um, and the team aspect of that as well, which yeah. I think, you know, when we start to move on and we talk about the senior women, that would become a really very big theme about them was the team element of approaching this we're not just a bunch of five or six individuals. Mm. What can we do here to maximise our team score by helping each other out out there? Yeah, and, and as much as you might be struggling, you know, during portions of the race, um, you are running for something a little bit bigger than yourself, yep. um, and, and it can be a, you know, quite a neat reward post race to realise where the team has finished up and sort of how you stack up against some of the some of the biggest nations in the world. Well, exactly right. So, you know, Schiffman drifted back into forty second position. Um, so Crouch, as you said, was in 38th. We've also got uh, Abby Caldwell, though. So, Abby, what do you think about that performance, 72nd? Yeah, I think she'd be frustrated with that. Um, she's obviously got a pretty spectacular range at her age, and we sort of saw her burst onto the scene last year as, as very much a 1500 runner um, with a bit of 3K stuff thrown in there. Um, so obviously was a world under 20 representative last year um, in Finland for the 1500. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... It maybe is a you know, someone who's often been a bottom age junior or a very young junior on these teams. Um, it's probably a process of just figuring out what works best heading into those races and and um, just trying to get a handle on uh, I guess a bunch of different things that go into being ready for. Uh, an Australian team performance. Yeah, well, we did catch up with Abby uh, post race, and uh, this is what she had to say. Tell me about your race today at World Cross Country. Um, it was probably the most brutal race I've ever run. Um, I think for most people it's the same, but. Although it wasn't the best of my, I gave, went out, gave it all my best. It wasn't quite where I wanted to finish, but you know what? I got over that line. That's all that mattered for me. Um, but the experience itself was amazing. Just the whole atmosphere of that cross country course was just incredible. Like to finish it, I was just stoked. <laughs> so yeah. And tell me a little bit about the course. Um, we literally got a bit of everything. We got the water, the mud, the sand, certainly got the hills. It was either going up or going down. There was not really any flat parts to kind of have a little rest and be like, oh, just take it easy. But no, it was really good. I, I did enjoy it. It was true cross country. So that's what made it extra special for us, I think. Yeah, no, the um, girls up front, they pulled it through really well and just overall, we I think, was it eighth? Yes. I think we came through, so I mean, yeah. I don't know officially yet, but yeah. we so eighth. We'll take that any day, so yeah, no, we did really well. Yeah, it was a great result. Yeah. Um, will we see you uh, going for the trials to compete at Bathurst in 21? I hope so, yes, I'd love to do it. Home, home ground advantage would be awesome, but yeah, we'll see how that goes, hopefully. <laughs> Because you were a bit crook before this, weren't you? you had, yeah, had a virus. I had about three weeks of just on the couch doing nothing, which obviously didn't help. And getting back to training after that, I kind of felt really good um, and fresh coming off a break. But I guess you can't always win, can you? So No, and how do you think that affected your race today? Um, I couldn't tell you how much it's actually affected me because, as I said, training, I felt really fresh coming off a break. But I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of got to me today. My head was just full and... Yeah, it did. It probably wasn't the most ideal conditions coming in with that, but who knows. 
So Abby rounded out the scoring team. They finished eighth. Uh, not a bad performance team-wise. Probably sort of midfield there, I think. Uh, 100 finishes overall. Nikita Moore was the, the fifth non-scoring member of the team. But, you know, you look... Team Ethiopia took it out, Kenya, Japan, Uganda, South Africa, Canada, Great Britain and then Australia. And we weren't that far off the Brits. But I think in that age grouping, if we get the right girls there, we can probably march up that table a little bit further. Yeah, I think the especially the junior age categories are always a bit of a a bit of a, a roulette sort of wheel um, in the sense that you're going to be against athletes that, you know, whether it's an... And I know age bias does come into this a lot in, in the discussion and even more so in the junior men's. There were some sort of photos floating around. But at, at the same time, it's very hard to... You know, at the same time, you've all got to run the same race. So whether you have suspicions or frustrations that someone may not be a junior... Um, just got to deal with it. you have yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Um, and yet again, that can be the challenge of the athletes. If you lose your stuff over that, mm. then you're not there for the right reasons. And the, and the flip side of that is is that even if some of the East African athletes um, are you know, of age and are in the correct age group, they're probably you know, training at a level or professionalised to a level that in Australia is just not realistic. No, we're still um, years away from that. Yeah, yeah. And, and even with you know some of those teams you were talking about that were were, you know, beating the Australians in terms of, you know, a Canada um, or a Great Britain, um, even though they didn't feature there, but um, even teams like the USA and stuff, they, they have sort of that transitional carryover system between being an under-18, going into your first year of a, a collegiate sort of setup where, you know, there's, there is a, a lot more support around being a junior and sort of being semi-professional yeah. whilst going to school. Yeah. Now, top 13 athletes were all Africans. Then you had a couple of Japanese, and then you had Carey slotting in uh, with one of the New Zealanders. So it shows top 20 performances you know, can be done. Uh, but yet again, domination there. In this one, more so than in many of the other team elements, the domination once again was Kenya and Ethiopia. A couple of Ugandans slipped in there as well. But gee, you know, those Kenyan, Ugandan, uh, sorry, and Ethiopian girls, they, they do a good pack. Though. And I think this is the thing that Schiffman found out that the reason they were going a little bit slow at the start. They were just waiting to get the pack formed before they start to move off and, you know, um, good luck to anyone who then wants to go with them. Yeah, and I think we saw that across both junior and open races. There were I guess sort of moments of pause, especially in even the opens men race. In men's race there were a number of um, competitors from say, you know, New Zealand and Denmark and Canada that you sort of briefly saw pop up at the front and thought, oh hang on, what are they doing there? But, you know, as a lot of the course hype led into. Yep. Um, I think some of the Kenyans and Ethiopians and Ugandans were a little bit cautious at the start and just sort of checked each other out to see who was going to do what in terms of pace. Um, and then I guess once they got sort of that kilometre or two established as to what was you know, going to be the, the fair pace for the race, um, th things really kicked off. Yeah, but what an exciting finish. You had three of them given the same time of 2050. That's uh, Beatrice Jabet from Kenya and then the uh, Ethiopian pair of Alamitu Tariku and Tsege Gebir Salama. So, yeah, and only one second behind Sarah Chalangat from Uganda. So that was one was, barnstorming finish. It was pretty bizarre because in the in the broadcast there seemed to be a, a real raft of confusion as to who had won. Um, and one of the still images that came out sort of immediately as the race finished was the, the Kenyan athlete Chabet 
sort of breasting the tape first. Um, and some of the competitors or some of the commentators were suggesting that maybe the Ethiopian uh, girl Tariko in second had won, and, and this sort of went back and forth for a few minutes mm. um, until yeah, I think the officials had to go back to effectively a photo finish for yeah. cross country. Yeah, that's unusual. I'm, I don't know what sort of equipment they have for that. So. <laughs> I think yeah, right. I think you'd still have to have it set up. Like it's, yeah, it's mental still, note still for Bathurst. It's still a world championship event. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So look, a, a great event there, and the Australian girls I think came out with their heads held high. So uh, and that's the the wrap there on the junior girls. So junior men, Sean, once again, the East African uh, domination here with Ethiopia, Uganda, Kenya, they're filling the top 11 positions. So a win there to Mikasa Mengeza uh, with 23.52, not too far behind, fairly close again to DC Worku from Ethiopia and the Ugandan. And gee, it's good, isn't it, now that we're saying Uganda quite constantly. So Oscar mm. Chalimo, he came in third in 23.55. Then a little bit of a gap to the first of the Kenyans, which was uh, Leonard Kipkimoi Bet. Interesting one down at th- uh, 12th position. First of the non-Africans, um, Inga Britson, Jakob. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Uganda's a really interesting one because whilst they're often collectivised, a little frustratingly sometimes, this, this does happen with Uganda, Kenya and Ethiopia, um, you know, something that we've discussed before and, and does sort of frustrate us, uh, I guess, to a level, um, is that, you know, we don't learn a lot about these athletes. They're just sort of grouped together and there's very rarely a translator on hand to sort of you know, glean any information or stories out of those athletes but you know that's sort of another thing but the interesting thing about Uganda is I guess there's an assumption of the professionalisation of running in Uganda um, and I think um, so global sports communication are a, a very well established um, athlete management group um, in the Netherlands um, and they're responsible for managing a guy Joshua Chepter guy who we'll talk about a little bit later he was in the senior men's race and did it rather well um, he's also the world record holder for 15 kilometres on the road um, and has medalled at a bunch of majors and in his success um, what we very commonly see in these nations is the top athletes will uh, reinvest in their country um, and Chapter Guy has made a point of talking about how his Dutch coach effectively that lives over there with him um, they've tried to sort out um, basically a, a track um, mm. for where they live in Uganda. Um, I know Lisa Stratton actually had a chat to his coach over in Denmark and was talking to us sort of in the office about how their training base from you know, where you fly into Uganda at the airport is something like seven or eight hours away. So yep. it's not, yeah, you know, it's definitely rural. Um, and they had trained on basically what was a dirt rut in the ground. It was it was literally like yep. three feet wide. Yeah, they have been a long way off the Kenyans and Ethiopians. Yes. There's no doubt, and there's no natural area like you know you think um, Etan Etan and Eldoret in yeah. Kenya. You think you know just up in the mountains above Addis for uh, the Ethiopians. Yeah, there's, there's nowhere like, like that in traditional Uganda. spots. Yep. Yeah, yep. and and noticeably, if anyone you know checks out Chapter Guy on Instagram, he's he's quite active on social media, um, and he's pointed out that they've basically built. Um, a, a pretty schmick, um, flat sort of dirt track that's, you know, a good sort of six lanes wide um, yep. up where their group sort of lives and drains and that's where a lot of the talented Ugandan athletes live. Um, and I think, you know, that's only been in the last year or so. Yeah, so what's this mean moving forward? And, and when we look at the men's, senior men's race, we'll see, well, what yeah, is happening. Yeah. But, gee, this, we now have got the third superpower. I guess we've had an emergence since almost 2014, 2016 of some of those Ugandan juniors popping up mm. um, in events and, and really dominating over 5,000 and 10,000 metres. And 
obviously the, the powers that be in Uganda, whether that's athletes or coaches or you know sponsors have gone. Yeah, hey, well, it could be external influences as yeah, well we've, for we've these European managers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it is really cool to see them pop in, and I think there was some sort of factoid about how long it's been since Kenya actually didn't have um, someone on the podium in a junior men's yeah. race, and it's it's an extraordinary long time, whatever yep. that was. But um, yeah, Kenya knocked off the um, off the podium. Yeah, exactly. Let's have a look at the Australians, though. Sam Clifford. I don't know much about Sam. Um, it came in at 30th, which, you know, top 30 at World Cross, yeah, always, you got to... That's a good performance. There's no yeah, that's doubt. A, that's a huge yeah. run. Um, yeah. Sam's a young guy from Tassie, um, yeah. and he's always sort of been that guy where, even when he was quite young, he'd be in the 3K at all schools or the yeah. 3K at all juniors, and you'd think, oh, that's that's not a very big guy, but he'd always do really well and yeah. sort of acquit himself and get a get a medal or something of the sort. And yeah. last year or two, we've really seen him start to polish off some some pretty good juniors, and, and has always been really good over cross country as well. Sort of. Yeah, actually, we were talking about him a bit over the summer gift period in Tassie too, weren't we? I think he was mm. cropping up there a bit. Yeah. And I guess sometimes you do see that in juniors. You get juniors who sort of outrun their uh, their track sort of ability a little bit in terms of being very good over cross country. Um, and yeah, he's, he's translated that spectacularly well to um, to the biggest stage for the event. Yeah, and probably a critical thing too. Sounds like a nice guy. Lisa did catch up with him, and uh, this this is what Sam had to say. Sam Clifford, first junior male over the line today. How does that feel? Oh, it feels great. Like, being the first Australian across the line in a world cross-country event is just so humbling. It's really, like, a dream of mine, like, to run here uh, at a world cross-country. And um, ever since, like, I was 10, like, it's been a big part of um, my journey in athletics. And so to be on the world stage and run very well for my country is just really humbling and really, um, I guess, satisfying. It's amazing, mate. I, 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 we're all really proud of the way you ran today. Yeah, thank you. What, what were your thoughts on the course going in? Well, to start with, it was almost just a bit argy-bargy, um, just trying to get used to the first couple of laps. But then after that, it was almost like your body got sort of used to the to conditions and sort of trying to get a rhythm after that. But, um, like, the course itself, I think, is really challenging. Like, it was challenging to start with. Um, and But as you've gone through, you sort of get used to it and you, you sort of rock your sort of muscle memory, I guess, um, plays into effect. Yeah. What was your strength in the course? Oh... I'd probably say my uphills. My uphills and like over, like just me heels, like work. I guess was really good. Like my downhills were always like pretty quick. I'd always seem to catch up to people when um, I needed to like stay with the group. And um, my uphills were really like just like for the same reason, just to try and stay with someone because um, a lot of them were bugged like me, and um, it was easy enough just to like get back onto them up from up the top of the hill once you crested so yeah no it was, that's what I think my strengths were. That whole concept Sean of being first Australian it's big isn't it so I think you know this is that element of team in this but also it is nice to be the number one on the team at a world event and Sam I think you know rightfully got that through some good running. Yeah and I, and I think that's something that more and more Aussie juniors are Recognising, you know, we, we go as far back as, as someone as a Craig Mottram, um, I think, finished oh, maybe as high as, oh, I don't know, I'll, I'll avoid saying a number because I'll get it wrong, but you know, had some very high finishes at World Junior and yep. World Senior cross country, both in short and long course, but 
sort of that mentality that, you know, you're not going there just to be the first um, non-East African and you're yep. not just going there to sort of roll around the course and get your kit and go e- home. Exactly. Um, Uniform but, you collectors. Know, you are trying to work. Um, you know, obviously, you're not going to work literally as a team, but, the, you know, there are instances where the, the drive of an athlete or the motivation of an athlete is heightened by the fact that they know they need to keep running strongly or they need to, you know, not sort of pack it in towards the end of a race because they're trying to help the team out in terms exactly of their Exactly right. Next one in for the Australians was in 36th position, Jackson Sharp. He's the Queenslander, I believe. Um, yeah, so he's from New South Wales as well, um, and he's also coached by Gary Howard, right. who coaches Lauren Carey, I believe. Right. Um, so two juniors that ran quite well. Um, Jackson's off to Wisconsin in August um, and is probably best known for being a 1500 guy um, had a world junior qualifier very early in sort of last year's qualifying period um, and then sort of missed out in the final and Dan after with an Achilles problem so cool to see him bounce back um, and obviously have a very strong winter and, and sort of get that you know Australian team that he felt he was ready for yep. um, and yeah had a, had a really good run in, in Denmark yeah Chikala Gestinet uh, next 43rd now that he had a few issues trying to get onto that team yeah, so Chikola has actually lived in, in Brisbane, I think, since he was sort of six. So, you know, he's, he's been in Australia for quite some time and it was, it was an awesome story in the sense that, you know, how he sort of arrived here with zilch English. Um, I think he was um, basically an orphan when he arrived here and he's, he's been taken care of by a family up in Brisbane, um, basically a foster family. Um, and he's coached by a guy I know pretty well, um, Jaden Russ. Um, and Jaden's had a really interesting time period over the last few years, sort of getting used to Chicole and his sort of, um, I guess, way of approaching races. Yep. And we really saw that in Malini last year at Nationals Cross, where I think Jaden pretty explicitly told him not to go too hard at the start because the course was very hard. And Chicole sort of threw all caution to the wind and ended up in second. But Hafto Strinzos, one of our juniors from yep. Victoria at the time, sort of just roped him in. Um, but yeah, just a guy who's just learning how to how to race, how to you know how to be more effective in events and, and be a little bit more patient um, but also was a, a super uh, resource over in uh, our house because he um, he speaks I think either one or both of the Ethiopian dialects and um, was able to translate and sort of negotiate dining hall arrangements for the Aussies <laughs> with the Ethiopians. <laughs> Multi-talented Chikolo but the, you know that you know you, we may jest about it but those things can be quite important because the language difficulties if yeah. you are sharing with a yeah. team can be oh, quite and, yes, massive. Sorry to go back to your initial point yeah the biggest trouble for Chikolo was um, he had all the right documents and he'd done all the right things and he'd submitted for a passport I think it was almost two years ago um, and yeah the Australian sort of I guess passport centre is a mysterious thing and you don't really get much out of them and um, yeah he just sort of hadn't heard anything and he was waiting and waiting and waiting and he got named in the team and he got named in the team with an asterisk because they were waiting to see if he could get a passport and he'd missed out on world schools cross country for the same reason um, and yeah I think it was about five days after he got named in the team all of a sudden boom, a passport. passport arrived no, so that's he was excellent. over the moon yeah well, where do you see Chikolo going with He's, he's a guy that's definitely, you know, Jaden's trying to develop him over sort of 15, 3K, 5K, like not, you know, immediately pushing him to longer distances or anything. But um, I, I think, you know, we'll have to wait and see um, how he goes next track season. Obviously, World Cross Country takes up a lot of your um, conventional domestic season. Um, and it would be really interesting to see, you know, does he become a 5K guy yeah. um, next season when he moves into the open age? And, you know, how close to, say, the you know, low sort of 14 minutes would he, would he yep. be? Oh, well, number one interesting name to watch out for. Ollie Raymond mm. was next in at 78. Uh, he went out reasonably hard and then just sort of fell away a little bit. And he was the last of the scoring members there. We also had Thomas Campbell there, 85th. And Liam Gorman, DNF. 
Yeah, I think um, Lamb went into the event with um, some some lower limb concerns um, in the in the stress injury department, um, and then had to cross train a little bit in the lead up, but. I don't know, I guess being an Australian junior team is a pretty motivating factor and um, you're going to give it a go regardless. Yeah, but, but it still um, comes down to the point. If, you know, my measure of an athlete is how they perform at the big ones. Mm. Um, as a coach, I certainly wouldn't put one into a major championship with, you know, I, I'd, I was talking to Lisa about this yesterday. Mm. I reckon they've got to be 90 to 100% ready. If you're yeah. sitting around that 75 or 85, I wouldn't even put them out there. Yeah, it's just guess, too big a stage. I guess the devil's, the devil's advocate side yeah. of it there is that, you know, he's, he's gone that way and he's run. I think he yeah. only got sort of a kilometre or two of the race done and the first downhill yeah. was in so much pain that he couldn't keep yeah. running. And it's like, yeah, it is a, it is a brave move effectively, but it, it does maybe reflect a little daftly when you've gone on that way to not, you know, be able to complete a lap or not sort of, you know, put out a performance that's becoming of the Yeah, talent. but my gut feel is that two weeks before or three weeks before they would have yeah, known yeah. what the story I, was probably going to be. you would have had a pretty good idea. Yeah. But We've seen that happen before in Australian teams, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a tricky one. Yeah. All right, so we've come in in ninth position position there of the the team's event. Uh, yet again, look, going okay, but I think once again hurt by that gap between three and four. You know, if that one tightens up and you've got more in the 30s, 20s, 30s and 40s, then as a team, you know, we are still looking quite good. And, um, you know, look, a Gorman on, in top shape could have been that one. Um, you know, who knows? But um, once again, dominated the Ethiopian took this one out, Uganda took second and uh, the Kenyans got on the podium, uh, which they wouldn't have been allowed back home, I don't reckon if they didn't. Yeah, and then no, I think you'd be in some serious strife. Oh, serious strife, yeah. The podium. yeah. Um, but yeah, Australia just behind Great Britain by a few points and ahead of countries like France and Canada um, and the host nation Denmark. So yeah, a reasonable performance there in ninth. So that's our little wrap there on the junior men. Now, I must admit, Sean, in our preview of World Cross, I don't think we gave the Australian women their full due, did we? I think uh, we all talk about the guys and what they were going to do, but, gee, this Australian women's team, oh, I reckon it's a superb performance by all of them. Oh, probably Caitlin Adams will be disappointed, but of the other five, um, I believe that probably three of them ran out of their skin uh, and the others were where we wanted them. Uh, so, great yeah, performance. I, I guess on paper, um, pre-event, the, the men's senior team had, uh, sort of your established big names that had been to a lot of major championships yep. and you know, or had been to World Cross a bunch of times before, and you kind of look at that and think, oh, okay, they'll they'll know how to judge this, and this will be you know a pretty good run. And you know, in, conversely, we looked at the women's team and thought, oh, okay, there's not a, a lot of new names there, a lot of people that haven't had to run on the big stage before. But uh, yeah, as we're going to hear throughout these interviews, they obviously had a, a good plan going in um, and, and communicated that with each other and everyone, and the, and the whole team was sort of on board as to what the best plan of attack was. Yeah, now we're going to start off the open women's segment with a couple of interviews pre-event. So let's listen to Melissa Duncan first. Melissa, they're really putting on a spectacular event here in Aarhus. Uh, it's a spectator's course. There's lots going on. How are you feeling this morning? I'm very excited for the challenge. When I first saw the course, I was a little bit um, concerned about whether I could actually make five laps of it. But I think now it's um, it's going to be a great challenge and just like getting through it is more of a grind rather than, um, you know, 
thinking about like attacking the hills too much because that's probably going to take a bit too much out. Um, but we've got a fantastic team. Um, all the girls are really supportive of one another and I'm looking forward to getting together and working as a team to get as, as good a place as we can. They're saying it's uh, out there, I heard the commentator say it's more like an extreme sport than a cross country. Yeah, and I think that's great because I think it's, um, you know, it's open to so many, like, it, it's not like, yeah, yeah, you don't know who's going to do well or who's going to struggle. Um, it's just going to be like a, a 10k grind, which I'm actually looking forward to. I think um, it's a challenge. None of us, or I don't think any of us have really done anything like this before. So we're, um, I think we're all really looking Excited. forward to it. Yeah, and, and when you come here, it's, it's really great having um, all the, like the spectators are here and they've got the fireworks going on. And it is like, it seems like a really cool event. It is. Mm. Well, good luck out there today. Thank you very much. You <laughs> so the theme there is all about getting prepared for this race, knowing it's going to be tough out there. There was a lot of hype about the course and how tough it was. And, and we also talked to Paige Campbell too pre-event about you know, what she, the way she's going to handle it. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, a bit nervous. We're about to go warm up, so um, yeah, a bit nervous. How do you control those nerves getting to the line today? Uh, just like normal, try and stay relaxed. Uh, just go through the same process as always. Yeah, enjoy it. Pretty exciting course. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be tough. How are you going to tackle it? Just going to uh, try and stay tough and um, not go out too hard. I think that's important. Yeah. We're all behind you. Good luck out yeah. there. Thank you. So those two, Sean, both nailed it, I'd say. So I think they were both, as you can tell from those interviews, they were ready for it. They knew what the plan was, and I think they both executed brilliantly. Melissa and Paige, great performances up front for the Australian team. Yeah, I think as we saw throughout the race, there were live splits available as, as along with what was a, a very good live stream. Um, and you could sort of just see um, both Melissa and Paige just kept picking people off as they went. Um, and I think the hard judgment call there is how high do you get yourself at the start of the race in terms of field position and, you know, where does that sort of early maybe hastened pace um, yeah, do you pay for it later on? Um, and I think, unfortunately for Caitlin Adams, that was sort of the case in the sense that she got out quite hard and wanted to sort of get an established spot up the front. Um, whereas for Duncan and Campbell, they got sort of moderately um, far up the field to start with um, and then were able to maintain a, a pretty reasonable rhythm throughout and yep. kept p- picking people off. They were picking off, but not huge numbers either. So it's not as mm. if they've gone from 60th and come through to a no, top maybe 30. maybe sort of 10 yeah. to 15 yeah. spots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were always just sitting there nicely. Uh, but the one who probably... Probably the most experienced runner in the group, and the one who did have a you know very serviceable performance was Em Brickacek because yep. she did start towards the rear, and um, we do hear from her, and, and she was probably doubting herself early. Well, you know, have I done the wrong thing here? Yeah. But in the end, she's run through to 35th position. She would have been just mowing down. And this is an event where you've got to get context. If you pick up 30 seconds, that could be nearly 30 places. <laughs> it's, it's that yeah, type it's, of it's, event. It's not quite in stabilised, but it, it's close in terms of how many people you can pick off in a short space of time. And even, you know, when we saw various members on the men's and women's team coming into the finish line, it wasn't, you know, one person... 10 second gap back to next place it was one yep. person with six people behind them all queuing in you know within sort of two to three seconds so whilst on paper you might think um i guess on paper you might see a result and think oh they've, they've moved up well there or they've sat there throughout the entire race you know th- this could also be you know a well-executed end of your race where you can catapult yourself from an okay result to yep. a very good result exactly and, and that's pretty much what Brickacek did mm. let's hear from Melissa again though um pretty excited as you can imagine because it's at this point too that um she's told that the team have come in for a pretty remarkable fifth position 
Melissa, what a fantastic result for your team. The best any Aussies te teams done in cross-country really? since 2008, fifth, officially. That's fantastic. No, that's really exciting. And I think the whole week, the whole girls team has bonded really well and we've been very supportive of one another. And I think we've all just got, a, we, we've had a really good vibe throughout the team. And I think that that really helped because we just, we all kind of wanted to help each other get through and you do gelled. really well. You yeah, gelled, you we gelled really well. Everyone you were a team. Yeah, yeah exactly. I feel like what, six of us are all best friends, which is really nice. We didn't know each other before this trip, but now we get along really well. And I think just that sort of team camaraderie has helped get, get us through the race too. So talking about your race, up those hills, you you were, you were frightened of those hills. Yeah. yeah, I know in training hills have never really been my strength, but um, I actually found today it was, it wasn't so much about running up the hills in a powerful way. It was more just like grinding out a 10k effort, and I think that my fitness showed through and just like general strength um, over the hills. I found that I would was passing people up the hills, which is yeah not typically my strength, but it was more of a grind rather than a sprint up the hills. So and I think that helped. You're incredible. Yeah, thank you. You really were. I'm so happy. I actually had so much fun. Mm. Yeah, you said that. You actually laughed. <laughs> it was just, it was just fun, and I think that that was the thing. Like, you kind of can't go out too aggressively. You just have to be able to be like relaxed and enjoying it. And I think that that's the focus. And so, will we see you? Bathurst. <laughs> I feel like I have to say <laughs> yes. We'll see. We'll see. I actually, when my coach said, "Oh, you know, enter the cross country trials," I was like, "No way! I don't like cross country. It's not my thing." But I think I'm sort of. Yeah, well, I'm, I think I'm opening. I think it makes you a tougher athlete. And like this is um, this is not like I don't see myself as a cross country runner. Um, but I still think that this is like it's a good result for a non cross country runner. And so it's going to make me a lot tougher for the track. So I'm really excited to now do some. Yeah, see what I can do. And, and that's something that juniors should be listening to, exactly what you said. Definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot of track athletes that like to stick to the track because it's all very, it's all very nice and, you know, your spikes don't get muddy and you don't get, you know, disgusting like sweat and spit and mud all over your face. <laughs> but I think it does make you a tougher athlete overall and a great experience, I think, as well with the team. Yeah. Well done. Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs> so becoming quite the professional athlete, Melissa Duncan, didn't she? Yeah, I guess for, for someone who not so long ago was just a 1500 metre runner, um, has moved up to 5k and you know 10k at World Cross Country pretty rapidly. But we've seen good cross country performances from her for many, many years and yet she constantly says, oh I'm not really a cross country runner, but I think everyone knows that you, know, you, you can do both and do it well and she is doing that. Yeah, and I, and I think being a 1500 metre runner there's often a bit of a stigma attached to whether you should or shouldn't be good at 10k but I think especially with Melissa's background and similarly a guy like Matt Ramsden who we'll talk about in the senior men's race um, you know their group is one where there's not a radical difference in terms of the pace they train at you know yep. for track or winter season so that does build I guess a, a base level of ability to cope with um, a variety of race distances um, and you know maybe you find yourself in a race paced or, or constructed like world cross country and, and you're actually relatively comfortable. Yeah now Melissa has announced now too that you know that she's off to Japan for a while she's going to be joining one of the corporate teams so that's an exciting new phase for her. Yeah, I, I think um, the factoid was that there hasn't been a non-East African um, corporate runner over there, men's or women's, um, purely because you only get one foreigner per team. Yep. Um, so she'll be running for Shiseido, who historically um, have had a bit of a down patch in the last couple of years. Um, and I guess in her context, the in the women's uh, Ekaden 
races, um, the sort of appointed marquee foreign athlete can only run, I think it's 3.6K. Um, so for someone with her sort of preferred distances, um, that actually works pretty well. Yep. Yep, we'll be good for it. But uh, she has to have a bit of downtime before she actually races over there too. There's a period that she can't run, is that correct? Yeah, I, I don't know about the sort of 100% specifics of it. I think she's got some track races over there. But I think it's more that she, especially with just like Japanese immigration and things like that, yep. needs to stay in the country for a certain period of time. So you can't sort of leave, come back, leave, come back and be allowed to yep. live there for what is over the, the sort of 90-day conventional yep. tourist visa. So unfortunately for us, that probably means no XER. But um, no, we'll <laughs> yeah, I don't think we will mark. Park on will yeah. be on the uh, on, on the, the agenda on the schedule. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. But uh, let's now get back to Embrick Check because she's been on four World Cross Countries before. Let's hear from her about her race. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I was hoping to just pace myself, given it was such a tough course, doubting myself a little bit one lap in because <laughs> I was quite a way back. But yeah, it was it was carnage. There was it was a very difficult course, um, and I think I definitely have had a few really tough world crosses in the past where I've run a little bit too quick um, and paid the price. So I was, was really happy with how it ended up today. How, how does this course compare? Because you've done four, haven't you? This how is my fourth, yeah. And by far the hardest. Yeah, by it far. was, yeah, there was just, there was obstacles, mud, um, the roof, that was just so steep. Um, Heading towards like an extreme sport, like a tough mudder or a Spartan, Almost. I mean, I've obviously never done any of that. But, yeah, when it was true cross-country, I, I really love hills, so I, I didn't mind it. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think the legs will be working too well tomorrow. <laughs> and you were happy with your result and how you ran the race and finished strong? I was, yeah. I think, like, I knew us girls could do really well as a team. We all finished quite close to the trials. Um and it's been a really great trip. We've all just got along so well. It's been a really, really great team atmosphere. That's my favourite thing about World Cross is just feeling that you're part of a group. Um, it is Team Australia. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was very proud of I us. I love the way you girls actually did form a team. Like, And you ran as a team today. So I think that really helps in, in these races, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, just kind of forgetting about yourself and how much pain you're in and just thinking, <laughs> I've got to do this for the other girls that are out there as well. Yeah, well, well done. And um, what's it meant to you to represent your country again? Oh, every time you put the uniform on, it's just, yeah, I'm so proud. I've Yeah, I've had... Um, you know, I have a few ups and downs in my career. So to be to be here back um, racing in the Australian uniform, hopefully just more to come from here. <laughs> so the final scoring member was Marnie Ponton in 44th. So that rounds out nicely, doesn't it? 44th to be your, your last one. Look, you know, yet again, if that was in the 30s, that's even better. But 44th is, is great. But only one spot behind her and out of the team, Leanne Pompiani. So that would have been... Frustrating. Yeah, frustrating, but yeah, good on both of them. And, and um, we Lisa caught up with both uh, Leanne and Monty... Um, sorry, Marnie Ponton immediately after the race. Leanne and Marnie, hey. well done on finishing that course. How was it? Ah, oh, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Tough as. It was tough as. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. It was a grind, wasn't it? it? That's that's pretty much the word to describe. There's no no pace really. Just just a, a big grind. Yeah. The mud pit was um, better than I thought. Same with the water pit, but it's the hills. The hills were mm. were solid. Yeah. The, um, yeah, very solid. And you just gave me some great news. Where did we come in in the team? Uh, we believe fifth. Maybe, maybe yeah. fifth in the yes. team. Yeah, so uh, we really stepped up, yeah. I think. Yeah, stoked for the whole team. 
you did you did step up and congratulations. Well done. Thanks Thank so you. Cheers. So for Ponton, I reckon this is a bit of a turnaround. She was going into the world of trial racing and things like that, and it wasn't so long ago, I reckon it was only 12 months ago, that she did a few trial races where I thought her performances weren't that good. Uh, subsequently then went to Dick Telford, and look what's happened. Yeah, and I, and I guess, um, I think she's sponsored by Hoka, so yes. may, maybe that's sort of the crossover there in terms of trail running and a, yep. and a bit of an interest in what's maybe not conventionally uh, a track athlete um, sort of diet, yep. but um, yeah, it's, it's clearly worked out very well for her here in, in these series of races. It certainly has, and it, I'd be fascinated to see where Marnie goes now, because she actually can nail some good road stuff as well, she's good on the road, she's good on cross. We tried to get into the mountain running team last year, but she, it just didn't suit her skills. So this one, versatile, we'll see her in the green of gold again for sure. And what a great experience. I think this was her first major team. And bear in mind, this is a girl who was an ace steeplechaser about 10 years ago. So yep. she's been around a while, had a bit of a lapse away, had a family, but come back in great style. And, you know, 44th World Cross Country, <laughs> that's, that's good. Leanne Pompiani, I was not thinking Leanne was going to nail this one. But she proved me wrong. 45th, uh, right there with, with Marnie. Well done, Leanne. I think that's a great. And for her confidence now, this is going to be massive. Yeah, maybe maybe throwing on the, the green and gold kit can inspire a bit of a different performance in some athletes and um, pretty exciting to see. Oh, it certainly is. So the girls are coming in fifth position overall. Ethiopia took it in with 21 points. Kenya, 25. Then Uganda. So the top three. Popping up again, yep. Great Britain were next uh, on 132 points and only two points adrift. Australia, so we're only two points off getting fourth <laughs> place there in the Women's Open event. And the list of countries behind us, you know, Bahrain. Let's talk about Bahrain because this is interesting. <laughs> I think we might be seeing the beginning of the end here for the Bahrainis and yeah. their imports. And I think Bahrain and Turkey will be hamstrung a little bit um, by the new rules surrounding transfer of allegiance, which is basically swapping countries um, or paying people to swap countries. Um, and a lot of the athletes historically that have run for Bahrain have, you know, maybe been to Bahrain once to get their passport and have, you know, don't train there, live in Kenya or Ethiopia year-round. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it's just sort of another jersey to chuck on and, and run at these major races. Yeah, it's a professional obligation for yeah, them and that's yeah. their career. <laughs> but, um, but looking down, you know, you've got... Canada in 7th, uh, US in 8th, France 9th, Spain 10, then Tanzania, Japan in 12th. Yeah, it's um, weird. Japan's junior team had a blinder, um, but their senior team was sort of led yeah. by the, the world under-20 champ um, for 3,000 metres, and yeah. after that, that was about it. Yeah, it's um, amazing, isn't it? So, gee, well done, girls. It's 5th uh, place. Uh, and yet again, though, when we start to build towards Bathurst, I think we'll be seeing some Australian teams that might even challenge, potentially, you know, given the Africans are dominant, but uh, might challenge up towards podiums. We might even snag one, potentially, Sean. Yeah, it's always the question, and the the American men have managed to do it, um, you know, back in Poland, so it's yep. not completely out of the question. No. So, Caitlin Adams rounded out the field there in 69th position, 115 finishes. So, yeah, great performances there from our women. So, changing focus now to the senior men, Sean, and gee, the rumour mills were, were pumping away pre-race, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a tough thing with senior men. There's um, a 
yeah, in terms of what is a relatively small media space, there's a rather high level of uh, media reporting on a number of uh, competitors in both you know, the Australian team and the Kenyan teams, Ethiopian teams. You know, there's, there's a bit more known by the time you get to a senior men's team and you know who's in shape and who's been picked and, um, and who's in not so great shape or, or is gonna, uh, sort of going to try and wing it over there. Yeah, so we lost Tien and going in. Uh, mm. Ramsden replaced him. In the end, that wasn't a, such a bad thing. Look, it would have been great to have Pat there. He was, you know, what, 13th, I think, in, in Uganda. So he's a, a renowned and wonderful cross-country runner. Would have added quite a little bit of oomph to this, and hopefully we'll have him back in two years' time. But um, Matt came in, but, gee, Brett Robinson, I wasn't, you know, yet again, we're talking about rumours. We'd heard all this stuff about Brett being, you know, had a few niggles here and there, and 30th position. What a race. Yeah, look, I reckon I said it on the podcast pre, uh, pre-event, but he's a guy where it sort of seems like regardless of actual shape or regardless of niggles or anything, you, you get him in a major event and he basically just pulls it out every single time. Um, I think, yeah, we went back to the example of before the Rio Olympics, he ran a 3K just before the Olympics and couldn't break eight minutes. Um, turned up to you know, the heat in Rio, led for parts, I think was probably faster than eight minutes in sections and, um, you know, made the final. So yeah. this is a guy that, you know, he, you give him the kit, you tell him he's, he's on the job for the day and yeah, put him on the uh, start he, he doesn't really take much notice no. of anything that's happened prior to that. Exactly. And off he goes. And that's what you want. And um, that was a really, really good. And just a steady, solid performance. Wasn't nothing special, but just always there, always in yeah, that did, position. Did put himself a pretty long way up the field in the first sort of kilometre or so yeah. just to clear things out and, and yeah. get a good spot. And, um, yeah, just, just kept ticking along. Yeah, good. So Ramson came through. That surprised me a little bit. You know, hadn't um, made it through from the trial, but ends up being the second Australian on the day. Now, there's some other factors that came into that, but that was a really good run from Matt Ramson. Yeah, I, I don't know, for a guy that's pretty young and has shown ability at 5K for sure, but again, is still thought of more as a 1500 guy. Um, that's, a, that's a monster run at his age. And, and to sort of have the, the patience and the composure to run, you know, basically run through the field and, and run past guys like Harry Summers a bit later in the race, um, pretty, pretty spectacular trot from him. Now, you did ma- mention Harry Summers. Let's hear from Harry about his pre-event thoughts. Harry Summers, how are you feeling going into today's race? I'm feeling like I've had a great preparation uh, going to this race. I mean, uh, I've done the work now, so um, you know, I'm hoping that you know, we can all run as a team and, and, and place well. Um, but I mean, as long as we all give it 100%, um, we should walk away pretty happy. It is a team event. Yeah, it is a team event, and um, you know that's why we're going to try and work together in the race. Um, see if that can get us around top five. So it's all about getting up there, getting good position uh, and just holding steady at the World Cross, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, I, I think you're going to have athletes in that race that are... Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to ban a starting line in a race, I guess, from you know, when you're already someone who's yeah, in, in that sort of elk where you can qualify for the Olympics or the World Championships and, and know that you actually can't afford to go with certain athletes in the race. Um, bit, of, bit of a weird mental construct to come at. Um, but, yeah, you just have to run very much, you know, for, for an old cliche, you do have to run your own race at these events. Yeah. Jack Rayner, yet again, the rumour mill was that he'd been sick. And, well, I think everyone knew it wasn't a rumour. Jack had yeah, been I, sick I, in Australia. And I think um, there was no hiding that. I think he'd been in hospital or something for yeah. a night or two with um, a, a pretty 
bad um, viral infection or you know, a yep. sort of mutant flu of some sort um, and still managed to put himself on the line and you know, did, didn't have an awful run. Um, but by his standards, I think, yeah, he'd be disappointed with 63rd and, and would have definitely looked to push closer to the, the sort of 30s and, and 40s. Um, yeah, or exactly. Even the sort of, yeah, given the 20s. He wasn't far off. I think that's around the mark he had in um, Uganda where he was mm. a bit of an unknown. So two years ago, no one really knew Jack Rayner mm. and um, he... he pulled out probably one of the runs of the day for the Australians, apart from Tiernan in that race. Uh, so this one, expectations high, particularly after his 2018, which was just brilliant. You know, yeah, he'd, he'd had a winter where he basically obliterated all comers in every single road event available. Um, so going into an event like this, I think he would have looked to run basically with Brett for most of the event. Yep. Um, and yeah, As they look, did in trials. Yeah, and, and credit to him that, you know, he still got out there and had a... A sort of decent crack at it, um, but I think did. we'll yeah. think we'll hope to see him sort of reload for the London Marathon. Yeah, well, this is Jack's thoughts going into it anyway. Jack, how are you feeling, mate, going into the race? Um, yeah, pretty good. I was a little bit sick back home, but finally recovered. I was yeah out for a couple of weeks. It wasn't the most ideal preparation, but yeah, healthy now. So hopefully it doesn't affect me too much. But I'm ready to go. Yeah. Thing for the course. Yeah, it's an interesting course. Um, I've been watching the juniors go around and it looks pretty challenging, but I'm looking forward to it as well. Some extreme parts to it, aren't they? Yeah, I think the main part is that museum roof, which is quite steep, goes up for about 80 or 100 metres or so, and then straight back down and around a little berm, and then back uphill again. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. What, what are your um, plans going in? Like, What's going to be your strength in this course? I don't know, probably going down the hills I'd say I'm pretty good at, but I think I'll go out quite, well not, not too conservative, but yeah, quite conservative, just because I think a lot of people will be struggling in the last two laps or so. Just a so, bit mindful and respect, respecting the course a bit. Yeah, exactly. I think um, a lot of the Aussies will try and kind of move through the field in the last few laps there, because yeah, a lot of people go out a bit too hard and then yeah, find that last 2Ks a real drag. So Jack Rayner was the final scoring member. The team came in eighth, which was, yet again, you know, it's pretty handy. Uh, and Jack Bruce rounded out the team but in the non-scoring uh, element there with a 95th position. 140 finishes there, so quite a big field. Gee, hoping we can get that sort of number when we go to <laughs> Bathurst, but we'll see about that. So, look, team's event. Or do you want to talk about the actual winners of the race too? Because there's some good stories in that, isn't there? Yeah, I, th- I think going into the men's and women's races... Um, um, and, you know, often this is for people that are more specific fans of the sport. Um, you know, if, if you've followed these athletes for a few years, you obviously Helena Beery and, and Beatrice Kipkoech in, in the women's race. And um, I think one of the Ethiopian ladies, who I forget the name of, was sort of eighth all time for 5K. So you had some enormous names in the women's race um, and in the men's race, um, not dissimilar. Not dissimilarly, um, you've got Cheptegei, Keplimo, Camera War. They, they were sort of the, the big three that everyone was watching. Um, and that's crazy when you think the guys like Selman Borrega, who's run 12.43, and you know, Ronix Kipruto, who's a junior, who's under 27 minutes on the road, actually was eligible for the junior race, but said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to run the senior men's race. Um, I guess we'd had a few little concerns with Camera War going in. Um, he was only fifth at the Kenyan trials, but you know, his manager um, had sort of assured everyone that that was the plan. You know, often guys... Uh, are in exceptional shape for the Kenyan trials to make the team um, and then get on the start line and are just absolutely cooked. So we sort of had this race emerge where it was very much, um, you know, three of basically the, the three best guys 
on the planet for anything from 5k up to a half marathon. Um, and Camaraw as well ran 206 as a 19-year-old. So it, it was just sort of this, this dream race of, of guys put together who were going to have a battle royale over the, over the hills of the course. But in the end, it was quite a decisive victory too with the two Ugandans, wasn't it? Yeah, so Chepter Guy ended up putting 15 seconds into Camera War um, and Kip Limo similarly put 11 seconds into Camera War, which is, you know, they, these are all guys where... Yeah, you know, a 61-minute half marathon is a bad day. You know, they, these guys where sub-60 is sort of the expectation, and Kip Lemo was a guy who, even though the course is very slightly downhill in Madrid, had run under 27 minutes on road. And you know, th- These guys, when they start races, the expectation is whatever the world record is for the event is, is under threat. Um, and are guys who have loftily talked about their 2019 ambitions being, you know, having a crack at the 10,000-metre record on track and just... You know, the, the sky is, is really the limit for these guys. So to get all three of them and to have it so well presented um, in terms of the live stream and being able to watch them sort of wear each other down over the course, um, you sort of did see the point where it became a bit much for Camera War and he just, just simply couldn't hold on, which is a bizarre, you know, sort of uniquely bizarre scene to see a guy who's so competitive put into. Now, a 1-2 for Uganda... That virtually stitched up the team's title, and this is this is nearly earth-shattering, isn't it? That Uganda, sorry, Kenya and Ethiopia have been shunted down and shunted down a fair way because 20 points for Uganda to win it, 43 for Kenya and 46 for Ethiopia. They're your top three. Yeah, and, and Kenya is a team that we have seen either complete or go very close to perfect perfect scores in in races before. Um, and for a guy like Cameron Wall, you know, he obviously the, the daily standard is Kenya's sort of main newspaper and um, there, there were quotes sort of, you know, from him and the team coach sort of talking about going to war and all these very sort of spectacular yeah. quotes. So, yeah, I think for what is a national sport, it's a it's a huge impact not to get the win and, you know, to be seen to have been knocked off, really, by Uganda um, as a whole. Yeah, because Uganda's seen pretty much as the baby brother and the war used to be Kenya-Ethiopia because there's no love lost there because the only different sort of tribal aspects and... Uh, but Uganda shares a lot of tribal, uh, um, you know, sort of bearings with Kenya, but always seen as that third, fourth, or, you know, it's like us talking about New Zealand sometimes. Um, and for them, you know, it's, it's, it probably felt to them even worse than New Zealand knocking us off, is, is you've got Uganda yeah. doing it so well, though, 20 yeah. points to 43. They, they shellacked them. Yeah, and it was, it was pretty obvious in the finish line celebrations as well that, you know, Chepter Guy checked over his shoulder and um, saw Kip Lemo there, and they were both over the moon yeah. because I think, you know, they had at least an inkling that they might have, you know, helped themselves pretty substantially in the team rankings there and you know that um, yeah it'll be really interesting to see if that does have you know a sort of new generational effect on you know mm. whether that inspires younger athletes in the yeah. country it probably goes back though to winning that Olympic gold medal in the marathon too I reckon that was the catalyst for Uganda yeah with Stephen Kipritich yeah, yeah it, it, that's the start of, I think that's when we look back at the history of Ugandan athletics that's where we're going to say well things started from there Looking at the other teams, though, Eritrea came in next. Then Burundi. Great performance from the Burundi. Burundi. Yeah, it's a pretty Burundi's small... Burundi's a, a red-hot country. Yeah. Um, their, their previous claim to fame was second at World Indoors from Antoine Gakimi, who yeah. gave one of the most excited interviews of, of Portland at World Indoors when it happened, and he was, he was thrilled. He was Goals. over the moon. That's excellent. That's what we want. <laughs> um, Bahrain in next. So great. We're seeing the slide of Bahrain. I'm happy about that. I'm, uh, I can't yeah, contain I can't my really joy. Get, I can't really get behind Bahrain. I can't get behind Bahrain when... You know the the you know the what They're they go through. Borrowed to, athletes. Borrowed athletes for sure. Then Spain, then Australia, hmm. then Great Britain. Yeah, Great Britain. I guess the debate there is that 
their high performance structure doesn't really prioritise well cross country. Whilst they do, idiots. whilst yeah. they do send a team, um, you know the the road, I guess bias there is that you don't get guys like Hawkins or Farah um, and guys like Andy Butchart are sort of getting back into shape off injury. So the way in which you can be picked for that team is is pretty demanding in terms of you know you have to be at the trial and if you know you're not one of these top sort of I guess regarded athletes it's very hard to get put onto the team Um, and I think they almost bowed to public pressure a little bit closer to the race because very early on they'd sort of suggested they just weren't going to send senior teams it's Aarhus it's Denmark all all of a sudden they decided (laughs) it's one hour from Heathrow they decided to send people across the creek and um, yeah they obviously had some good runs there but from guys that were like you know not to discredit their runs but you know are not the full time sponsored you know big sort of Nike New Balance athletes so yeah I guess that asks the bigger question of some of those European nations who were literally an hour or less away yeah. and just didn't send anyone at well all. yeah looking through this in the open men's I can't see Germany I can't see Poland as scoring teams yeah I think uh, um, yeah, come on what's going on here I think there were a number of European nations who the the president of Danish athletics was scathing and mm. right so um, in calling out and just saying look it's just unacceptable if you've got a world championship oh. in your backyard you need to be sending people the only thing I would note previously with Uganda one's just sprung to mind uh, Kiprotich, very good in 2016, but also our old pal um, Moses Kipruto, who was very good back in the day at uh, the Commonwealth Games and famously had issues in training due to his village being cursed. Um, <laughs> Uganda, move, moving out it's of those... It's a bit like living in Frankston, isn't oh, it? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough shift there trying to get ready for, for the Com Games and the Olympics when your whole village is cursed. But yeah, um, yeah hopefully yeah, Uganda is, is going to add to that pool and, and bring in some really exciting athletes. All right. Now, interesting though, you know, we've gone through the list of no-shows there and you, you mm. probably throw in also um, Italy. No, Italy. I don't think France is there either. This is, nope. honestly, Sean, this is ridiculous. Peculiar when yeah. they do feature pretty spectacularly, yeah. usually, at but least uh, in an individual sense. US coming in 11th. What's the story? Yeah, that's a grim result. Um, in what is a team that's funded pretty heavily by the World Class Athlete Program, which is um, basically the US military. Um, a lot of the athletes in that team are Kenyan-born um, and did move to the US for collegiate running. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky topic in the US because there were a lot of guys at the US cross-country trials who missed out. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's obviously not a topic they can broach publicly in the US without getting slammed for it. Um, but, you know, for what was an incredibly heavily credentialed team in terms of Olympic appearances and world championships and these sorts of things, they had a miserable set of performances. They didn't get out that hard. They were back in the pack and they didn't really run over anyone. So mm. for guys that are full-time professionals, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure how they justify that performance. Yeah, and, and I think looking through most of the team performances, I don't think the Americans would have had much to crow about. You know, normally in team no, village environments, they're very loud, they're very yeah. brash, they're very out there. Yeah, but yep. I reckon they would have had their tails between their legs hopping back over the Atlantic. Yeah, their women's team got obliterated as well. Um, I think maybe only their, their junior men had a young fellow from yeah. Wisconsin run all right. Um, but that was about it. So a bit of an awkward day at the races for, for the US in, in an event which they've historically been very, very strong in. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I guess we're maybe seeing that pull of how major marathons affect um, the timing of world cross country. Yeah, true, true. And But then again, they can be different disciplines as well and if you've got a good structure within your nation leading to them and for me there is no reason why someone couldn't have done world cross and also then gone on to a, a you know i can't see why that's not a, a pretty good lead-in to a major marathon maybe a month 
four, six weeks later. But anyway, so look, Aarhus, they in many ways delivered on what they promised. It was a good event. The excitement level, you know, in talking to people who were there was that it, it was just well presented, well put on. Mm. And um, for us, I think Australia's come out uh, probably with our heads fairly high, uh, you know, as usual, a fairly a, a mix of performances, a few surprise packets, a couple have been disappointed, and some just really did their job well. So, look, Aarhus uh, done and dusted now, and the focus now turns to Bathurst 2021. So, not long uh, before Aarhus, uh, it was announced that Australia had been given the uh, the right to host the 2021. World Cross Country Championship and it will be in the regional city of Bathurst in New South Wales. Now probably typical of the Australian mentality, all the dooms and gloom came out, the the, uh, the knocking of the venue, the knocking of the selection process and all those sort of things. We've got to get behind it. It's going to be in Bathurst, it's going to happen 2021, what can we do with it? Alright, so I was there on Monday. We've done the original scoping. Because, yeah, look, I'll, I'll chip in and say the preparation and planning for the bid, I don't believe, was as strong as it could have been. I think there was a lot of last-minute stuff. Um, I was given the role of coming up with a course. I'd never been to bloody Bathurst in my life, and I'm supposed to design <laughs> a course. So a little bit challenging. But we were there on Monday. I was there with Ross Cunningham. We also had Wayne Larden, from, uh, who is you know, Mr Blackmore's uh, marathon. We had uh, the Office of Sport from New South Wales. We also had uh, the uh, City Council from Bathurst and the course manager from the Bathurst Racing Circuit. I've come back pretty excited, Sean. This is good to hear, Tim, given it is a, is a world championship, so you'd hope we've got some, some options up there. Uh, yeah, look, we have, and there's a lot more options than I thought. Um, we're not going to go and run on top of Mount Panorama. That's not going to happen because that's about two kilometres from the pit buildings uh, as a bird flies. So we're not going to get up there. We can't do that. For But Mount Panorama, when you go to Bathurst, is ever-present. It's always in the background and it stands out, and it's a, it's a really scenic, beautiful place. Now, the challenges we're going to have with Bathurst first is it's a motor racing circuit so the negatives of that there is bitumen everywhere it's a bitumen circuit it's a race it's for racing cars it's not for rally cars so it's it's bitumen 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 now we've come up with some course designs which we believe can to mitigate that and with lots of matting and things like that we think that we've got some great elements that are going to go into this course and they include things like well you know that's the negative is the amount of bitumen amount of covering we're going to have to do because we go through car parks we've got bitumen strips and all those sort of things we've got um you know the start i think will be on a huge area of bitumen the finish will also be on bitumen it'll be in pit lane what a finish but on the plus side the pit building complex at Bathurst is amazing. So what you've got to bear in mind, we can't just go to a green field like Bandura and do a world cross country. Because God, it'd be good though. It would be <laughs> as a course. We, world, as we world know, cross at Bandura, round, yeah. round six. Yeah, I know. We know that we. win oh, I love Bandura. I love designing courses there because <laughs> there's so much you can do. Year by year, we do little tweaks and changes, and it's great. And crowd interaction is fantastic. But we haven't got that with Bathurst. We've, but we have got this one hell of a facility called the Pit Buildings, mm. which has a media centre for 100 people. It's got a medical centre that you just dream of at an event. It's got corporate, um, you know, the corporate suites and all those sort of things for, you know, the upper echelon of the IAA family that they are going to be quite comfortable in eating the right canapes. Uh, All of those things are important because you need to present that 
to the world audience. What it also has, though, is this massive space on top of the pit buildings, which I reckon you could get well over a 1,000 people up there. From that point, you're going to see most of the cross-country. Uh, you'll have catering up there. It'll be just the place to be. And from there, even putting big screens up there, you're going to see the majority of this course. And the course has got some nice little elements. So when you run out, you know, it's a long uphill to get out of the car park and then dip over. Well, they're going to dip them over and take them down a gully, which which is quintessential Australian. They're going into a gully which is just full of... It's got a dam in it, it's got eucalypts, it's got a creek bed. The creek bed is going to be kick-ass hard. It's going to be a steep down and then a steep up with some water flowing in that gully. We're then going to run them into a vineyard. How Australian is that? So up the rows of the vines and then back out and then back into where the crowd can see them and from there they're going to be doing a little flyover, we think. They're going to run under the flyover, do a spin around, then up and over the fly, flyover, which leads them down to pit lane. And then from there, they're going to be running through one of the, uh, the garages. So, you know, you're going to go through the pit building, straight through one of the pit garages, and bang, you're straight back out on the course again. It's got some really nice elements, and I'm pretty excited about what we can do. Uh, it's now a matter of uh, having the IAAF coming out and approving a lot of what we've done. Uh, and we might, we're not going to see just five by two kilometre circuits. I think we might have as many as three different uh, uh, lap variations and each, you know, there'll probably be two laps the same, then the next lap will be different and the last lap will be different again and I think that's going to be great for the spectators. And 200 metres flying down pit lane with the crowd on top of the pit buildings, crowd also on pit lane because we've got plenty of space for them to be down on the, on the flat to see the finish. Could be quite spectacular. Downhill 200 metre finish. Now, as we saw with that um, that junior women's finish in Aarhus, imagine three or four athletes, you know, hurtling down there together, with the crowd totally engaged. When I was in Uganda, I closest I could get to the finish was about 50 or 60 metres. I was looking at it from afar because you simply could not get there. Mm. This one, we are looking how to engage the crowd. We'll also look at a club zone out there, probably on top of the hill as they before they dip over into the gully, and that's where you'll have you know more crowd engagement, people getting right up there, uh, what else do we do, you know, we might, we're thinking about having clappers and all those sort of things, but what will the clappers be? Yeah, maybe they're going to be thongs. Yeah, you, some of the little glitzy things, that's for the marketing team to work out, but probably what I want to say is, it's going to be at Bathurst in 2021, we are going to do a whole raft, it's going to be, you know, you might be there for three or four or five days, what are you going to do? Well, why not? do a, a mass participation race around the Bathurst car racing circuit. For anyone who hasn't been around there, God, it's tough. That, that road race, 6.2 kilometres, that in itself is a major event. We're also looking at trail races. Uh, we are looking, obviously, at running on the course. Uh, we potentially, you know, I can't speak out of school because I don't know what AA is going to plan with this, but I think we'll have at least one event there, whether it's the trial or whether it's the, the National Cross in 2020. Who knows? It won't be exactly the same as the World Cross course because we probably won't be able to afford the matting and the flyovers and all that, but it'll be a very good replica of what the World Cross is going to be. Camping grounds are amazing. You know, you've got all of that. The infrastructure in Bathurst actually isn't too bad. Bear in mind, they host major events every year. <laughs> the Bathurst <laughs> Motor Race, they know how to put on a big event. So they do have the ancillary services there that are going to make for a world-class event. And I guess that is the that is sort of the, the million-dollar question there. Uh, can, can we get people to Bathurst? Can we? Well, why not? If you're a, a fan of our sport and you get a chance to go and watch a world cross-country and got good camping grounds, good hotels, all those sort of things, and a range of other things that we can do, like some races that we can do, why not? 
get there. Spend a few days in Bathurst. Yeah, and I, and I guess that will be the the heavy role that event promotion and the the media coverage of the event will play leading into it. And yeah, you know, how I guess um, how enthusiastic people are about travelling. You know, whether it's internationally or nationally to to get to the event and and see the event. Exactly right. And look from Melbourne, you know, hire a bus. You know, get get a busload of people up there. Um, be involved in all the other events that are going on, and just generally let's let's accept this is going to happen and why not get behind it if you're an australian athletic fan you know why throw stones at aa and everyone else saying oh this is rubbish we should be in melbourne or sydney let's get behind that first yeah pretty pretty rare to have a world championship in your own backyard and and whilst you know we all do talk about oh who'll travel who may not travel i yeah. think you can rest assured that the the major stars of the event you know at the end of the day they want to win a world championship and that does add hugely to their marketability and their ability to be you know flying into things such as races and endorsement deals so i yeah, think and bear in mind how successful sydney olympics was mm. and the cred that we got in australia for that that wasn't no one was going oh it's too far it's too far <laughs> it was the the and probably still is the most successful olympics ever staged so we know we can put on good events mm. uh, and sydney will be the backdrop for a lot of the pre stuff there was certainly talk of the a lot of the teams basing in sydney for a few days before they do get bussed mm. out to Bathurst uh, and then for Bathurst the experience to be you know things like the motor racing circuit and we're looking at you know how do we incorporate it's it's not a motor racing event we know that but gee the history of Bathurst and you've just got to be there to feel that to feel the Mount Panorama yeah because it, it's I think it's ingrained in the Australian psyche uh, that whole aura around Bathurst and motor racing and it would be <laughs> we just would not not include some of those elements uh, and I think we have to you know we could have super supercars there out there on course and things like that it uh you know there's just little quirky things that we've got you know a bit of time now to work on this as i said the iaaf are here for their first look on in around 5th of may i believe and then they're going to be back out in june or july again to really nail down all of the all the stuff and uh, no, and i think that'll be something pretty cool for listeners as well you know having to being able to get a bit of an insight into how an event like this is planned and, and how long it does take to to formalize and and lock in various aspects of what is a, a major logistical challenge yeah certainly is and we we know that we're confronting some logistical issues like the amount of matting that we do need to cover the bitumen but once done and if the budgets are there this i think could be a spectacular uh, course for the competitors it will not be as hard as ahus i don't believe i don't <laughs> think we can we just can't suddenly be digging ditches and we can't run them up the side of the pit buildings it's just not going to work but we're hoping to have enough interesting elements uh and as i said that back area where they go through the creek bed and through some other water features around the dam uh, I think is going to be great and the vineyard itself it'll look spectacular runners going through a, a beautiful Australian vineyard so lots of good stuff there what else do we do we we've got a bit of time to think about that how do we get more crowd out onto the course but then again do you want to go out on the course when you can see most of it from the top of the pit buildings and be drinking a beer or a lemonade or <laughs> having a burger while you're doing it so yeah I think, I think we'll definitely uh, the option will be there to create a, a uniquely Australian event it certainly will be and uh, unfortunately yes we hopefully will be in on the most of the discussions on the way through and uh, keep our listeners updated and yeah, let's build the excitement level you know start to think well what what can I do what how can I be involved in that first 2021 because we really want the australian athletic crowd there so an interesting episode all cross country for this one but next episode sean we are going to really delve into the australian national championships which uh, took place over seven days in sydney a long seven days (laughs) 
yeah, I think for anyone that was was working the event there, you know, you, you sort of get through the excitement of a lot of the juniors, and, and it is something that is cool to see. You know, there's a lot of people there for the first time, and it, I guess it does rem- remind you of sort of why you got involved in the sport. A lot of, a lot of first timers having a, a really good good go of it up there, and then you you know you roll into that senior part of the week where things are a little bit more serious, and you know it's it's often really people's entire year boils down to how yeah. they run at this event for uh, some. And I was viewing there on the Sunday, and that was to me a bit of a super Sunday of, of athletic yeah, performance. Yeah, it, it was tense. There it were, was, you know, yeah, for a lot, a lot of, of stories, everything yeah. from oh, you know, myself not as a an out and out sprint fan, yeah. the the quietest oh, yeah. I've ever heard oh. a stadium when that men's hundred meters went to set. You literally could hear a pin drop. Was I, I was amazed at that. I've never, you know, I've been to a lot of athletic events and even world champs and things like that. I've never heard anything like it. Yeah, and and I think that shows what one very good athlete, you know, like a, a Rowan Browning or someone like that can really spark the public's imagination in terms of having a guy that's close to that, you know, yep. that elusive 10-second mark. You throw in the variables of a guy like Eddie and Keeter and, and, you know, and, and we sort of saw these scenarios in, you know, the one, the two, the four, the yeah. eight. Like, it was through every event, there were, there were storylines. There were people who, you know, had either raced each other a lot or hadn't raced each other very much through the whole season. Yeah. Um, and that is the beauty of nationals. You, you have to race the best people in the country and you finally get to see this all play out sans pacemaker. Yeah, look, and I'm very parochial Victorian, but that Sydney Stadium, I think, is is set for this sort of event, isn't it? It's a good stadium yeah, for running. Yeah, I, I think in terms of getting there, having the nearby yeah. logistics for, you know, food, uh, accommodation, yeah. you know, even if you're coming in from the east, you know, you can come in via the train. Yeah. I, I think it's the best spot for the event. Yeah, it certainly is. And there's just, you do get the atmosphere there. Uh, back straight can be a little bit quiet because of the separation, but yeah. gee, from that stand and the accessibility of the stands, the way it all works, it's it's good and um, you know I think it was certainly from what I saw over the weekend it was a very and a very and I'll you know give credit to the guys at Athletics Victoria who delivered this they had a few challenges there were some challenges you know and I was hearing the backstories of all this but gee to Ross and Glenn and, and Craig and Andrea and those the Victorians who shipped up there to actually run this thing I think they did an enormous job and I know guys like Mark Hubbib are very very grateful for what they did and the way they could really deliver a high standard event for Athletics Australia. Yeah, and we, we obviously, you know, this year is sort of the, the curtain raiser to what next year will be um, an Olympic trial event, um, yep. which, yeah, as, as everyone knows, they only come around every four years and, and it is, you know, one of the most nerve-wracking but almost exciting events for, uh, for athletics fans. Yeah, it certainly is. So that'll be the gist of the next edition, which we'll be recording in a couple of days. And then immediately after that, we'll be doing dropping in another edition where we're going to talk all things stall gift. We're going to do a bit of a preview. Um, I'm dumping Sean for this one. We just don't need him. Uh, I'll be ringing in a couple lack of experts. Of, lack of Val knowledge. <laughs> yes, but uh, we really want to um, pump up some of those uh, stories uh, leading into the stall gift. Because, yeah, yet again, it's not what we do all the time, Sean. We're not VAL people, but it's a bit like Bathurst, isn't it? The Stall Gift is an yeah. Australian iconic event. And we will see a lot of guys from the 100 and the 200 and girls, you know, moving from nationals through to Stall um, yep. and distance runners as well who've decided that Stall's worth a crack and worth squeezing a little bit more out of the season. Um, but we'll also be able to talk about in the next episode um, how, you know, nationals, what effect that has on, you know, the big prize grab at the Oceania Championships, um, the World Uni Games for some of the younger athletes um, and how, you know, how many people locked up their spot in Doha. Yep, exactly right. So lots to talk about, Sean. Thanks again for your contribution to our World Cross Country Edition. <laughs> Always good being here, Tim, and um, we'll, we'll see all our, we'll hear from all our listeners uh, very shortly. Thank you.